Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardawar. I'm reviews editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today we're talking about big tech going to Congress. Uh, sort of like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, I guess, except it's about some of the richest people in the freaking world. So we are recording this the day after the big major congressional hearing, which went on forever, wasn't super productive, but I found it kind of interesting. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into the Garmin outage, which was actually a cyber attack and some Emmy nominations. For some reason, Quibi did really well on the Emmys. I feel like that's going to be a whole thing we're going to be discussing. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review. That's always super helpful. We're trying out a new thing this week as well. We're actually broadcasting our recording live on YouTube, and you can join us for future shows, usually Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern. And the benefit of doing that, you can actually talk to us or send us messages during the show uh, by tweeting at Engadget with the hashtag podcast live. So join us every Thursday. Hopefully this is going to be a thing we could do. And you can also see our beautiful faces as we nope. try to produce a decent podcast. <laughs> Not my beautiful <laughs> face. No. Oh, man. Sherlyn anyway. and your cadre of fans, like so many fans. Do not, I, you guys are the greatest. The ones who are very nice. I know all your names. I just don't want to. Yeah. I can shout them out, but I don't want to put you all on blast. But you all are very nice. I love it. Let's move on to our main story. And big tech. Going to Congress. So yesterday, the CEOs of Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple all showed up in front of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, the Antitrust Subcommittee, uh, to defend themselves as being major, are they monopolies? Do they have too much power? They all appeared over Zoom. uh, Or actually, no, not over Zoom. They all appeared over Cisco WebEx. (laughs) Unfortunately, the worst of all of our video chatting name I've heard services. Yeah. And there were tons of problems throughout the event, but it was five hours of um, these CEOs, some of the richest people in the world being grilled by, uh, by U S politicians. So did you get to check out any of the Sherlyn? Do you have any broad so, takeaways? I do. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, I watched it yesterday in preparation for this episode as usual. And I came up with this sort of like, analogy that i think you're gonna hate it's basically kind of like this really painful avengers movie with all (laughs) the tech representatives except for instead of heroes you get ceos yeah it's the end it's avengers age of ultron where everyone's like look at all the damage you made while trying to save the world so it's one of those like very very dramatic things i I don't want to equate tech ceos with superheroes as (laughs) much as they're not no that yeah they would not Unless you're um, Elon Musk, I feel like Elon Musk would definitely want to be part of that Elon analogy. Musk? Yeah. Or Elon, like someone else. Oh, okay. Is it not <laughs> well, Elon? Here, I think the thing we need to ask ourselves is why these tech CEOs are being pulled in front of Congress now. Uh, what, is, what is the reasoning? What's happening? To me, it feels like there's a bit of a tech reckoning um, where for the past 10 years, 
it seems like tech, the new wave of tech and startups and everything, they were the hottest things mm -hmm. in America, right? They were some of the biggest businesses. They were doing truly innovative things. Mm -hmm. It seems like they've reached a point, though, where everybody is wondering if these companies have too much power. And what's really interesting is that this is one of those like cross-party things where both Republicans and Democrats have their own like you know things to grind against mm -hmm. these companies. So that <laughs> yes. felt like what, what that that was the main point of the hearing is to really deal with this. But also, it's the idea of antitrust yep. in the modern world, and yeah. that's a new thing to bring up because um, it's something the U.S. has dealt with when it comes to what the railroad tycoons, the oil tycoons. Um, you know, Ma Bell, big AT&T back in the day, like right. as companies got too big, they had too much power. Uh, it wasn't good for consumers and the government had to step in and break things up or implement more regulations. The question is, how do we do that now? How do we do that when Facebook has what over 2 billion mm -hmm. users and unprecedented control over social networking and they're gobbling up all their small companies? How do we do that when Amazon is so big? It is you know, one of the biggest retailers uh, in the world and also has its fingers in so many different things like cloud computing and um, even making movies and making TV shows. Like the, these companies are so big and in so many different things, the idea of deciding monopoly is kind of tough. And let me just say, the it, it's also opening up broader discussions too because I think since the 80s, since... Um, I'm thinking of like the big tobacco hearings too, when they were also brought in and grilled about alive, the dangers so, of that industry. Yeah. Um, but since the 80s, we've sort of thought of antitrust as sort of a thing where um, it's measured based on consumer harm or consumer, like the consumer value, right? So if companies are making things too expensive, if they're making products too difficult and people are trapped and don't have any other way to use them, that seems like a clear monopoly. The problem with tech is that we don't have that. So many of these things are free. Gmail is free. Amazon services give you the lowest prices typically. So I think a lot of scholars are thinking like, where's the problem here? You know, well, I guess, they're not I guess hurting you. the question then is what is the cost? The cost is your privacy, yeah. the cost is your data. And I think that that's mm -hmm. what they're asking. But a lot of the questions, and I think that when you think about an antitrust hearing, you don't tend to, at least for me, I don't tend to immediately jump to competition and monopolies, right? Like mm -hmm. I think of security and privacy, but this was the focus of a lot of the questions is, yeah. you know, a lot of the people seemed really upset about personal issues. Like, why did my uh, campaign email go to my dad's spam folder rather than his main inbox? That was yeah. one of the questions asked of Sunar Pichai uh, about Google and Gmail. And then there were questions about why, what was it, Gateway Pundit didn't show up in the first 10 results of a Google search for Gateway Pundit. Well, um, let, me, let me just say the the broader line of questioning is basically like a lot of the Democrats uh, <laughs> had very clear questions. It was like, what are you what are you doing as a business? How are you hurting people? Right. And right. the Republican and conservative line of questioning is why? Why do you hate us? Why do you hate us so much? Um, yeah, there, it was there is very, like, yeah. It's a very like me, me, me uh, way of talking to these companies versus how are you hurting the country? How are you like harming consumers? And let me just point out something we've been seeing for a while. It's not as if conservative thought and ideology um, are actually being suppressed. It's more of like a thing they're saying. But we look at like the top 10 most engaged posts on Facebook over the past like several weeks. I mean, honestly, over years, it's usually conservative thinkers and, you know, products and things like that. So it's a weird dissonance where they're at least feeling left out of this whole ecosystem, even though a lot of these tech companies work really hard to appease them. So I don't know. We're in a weird thing. Um, well, I, I also enjoyed, I mean, some of the grilling was good. I think for the, the most part. The grilling was good. Yeah. It was nice to see these four titans of the industry get put in their places almost with these relentless questions where they're, I mean, it was somewhat annoying sometimes to not be able to hear them answer the question fully. And sometimes they didn't have good answers where they were like, sometimes they didn't answer at all. I feel like Sundar Pachai, who was probably the quietest of the bunch, just like did a good job of not answering. He didn't really answer sometimes. questions. Some of like highlights for me, right? One of them was the fact that Tim Cook just didn't get questioned all that much at all. Yeah. Um, just cause people and seem to be very happy with what Apple is doing, right? Maybe There's, Apple didn't need to be there. Maybe Microsoft should have been I was going to say, so Microsoft was like Thor. Okay. Like where uh -huh. the F were you buddy? Like 
But anyway, but I think Microsoft yeah. also, in general, seems to have been doing a good job. But I don't know, right? That's just from well, my lens. So here's the thing, right? Microsoft went through this whole process in the '90s when mm-hmm. you know they were they Huge. were basically charged with antitrust because of the dominance of Windows and the way they crushed competitors and the way they like cleared out right. the marketplace in a way. And then then Internet Explorer bundling in Internet Explorer became a whole thing which uh, yep. went on for a while. Like it wasn't yep. until like 2010 yep. in Europe where Microsoft was forced to basically create this dialog box in Windows to be like, here's Internet Explorer, here's Chrome, here's Opera. You can choose from these browsers. Um, that was like an ongoing thing. But recently, yeah. let me just say, I wrote up um, Slack, uh, you know, complained about Microsoft being a monopoly and uh, that is going to trigger a EU complaint. So Slack was complaining like earlier last week or this week that, you know, Microsoft is bundling teams into office and how can Slack compete? Because Microsoft is just delivering their product in the same way. So I, mean, I, I, I did, think, yeah, I did see figures recently where like teams adoption numbers have just skyrocketed since January this year. Cause it's pre-installed. Like it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But so anyway. that, that would be the argument for doing Microsoft today. Uh, let me. But what, Microsoft up, wasn't there. Microsoft wasn't there. Yeah. But who was there? So we, we talked about how Tim Cook didn't really have to answer a lot of questions. Jeff Bezos was there, um, and he was getting grilled over. I mean, diapers.com for one thing. Uh, well, that, that and, was a big thing. Do you remember that whole deal? I remember. I well, vaguely remember it. Yes, it was like they were. They were they were direct competitors, and they yeah. yeah that that's the thing. Way like, diapers.com. Yeah. Way back when, but there was very clear communication from Jeff Bezos that we need to buy this company or they will like be an actual threat to us. And I think wasn't the story the diapers.com person felt like they were forced into basically Co- being bought by Amazon. Collaborative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think so. And I think that that was a recurring theme throughout too. And it was not just of Amazon. I think Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg was also questioned about his purchase of Instagram. Um, and so basically I guess the idea of competition here is that if you get big enough to just buy out your competitors, then you're monopolizing and then, like, what say do they have? Because Amazon also has this other conundrum of the, being the fact that they actually are competitors against their own clients, technically, right? Because the merchants yep. that are third-party sellers on their groups, a lot of there was a lot of concern over these like mom and pop stores that are opening small storefronts on Amazon's marketplace, but then being priced out or having their customer data analyzed mm-hmm. by Amazon, who then uses it to their benefit. So there was a lot of grilling of Bezos on that front yeah. as well. I, I really um, appreciated that too, because like there's this thing where you'll see, oh, a cool little product ends up being very big on Amazon. And then Amazon creates the Amazon basics version of that yeah, very same product. Right. And that to me seems, first of all, that's not something we've really seen other merchants kind of do before. Amazon has this load of data. They know what consumers are into. They also probably have the sense of like the supply chain and how to create these things. So that I, is, I, that's kind of the heart of it. Yeah. I see it happening in app stores too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim Cook did get questioned about uh, Apple's app store also being anti-competitive. But the idea that like, for example, the fact that you can now use your phone's flash as a flashlight in every OS, that mm-hmm. was born from like a scrappy little app way back when in, I don't know, 2010, 2011 or something. And every like developer was making their little hack for that so you could use your phone's flash as a camera in the theater or something. Now it's built into mm-hmm. the OS. Is that anti-competitive? Like It's hard for me to... I mean, they weren't really charging for the app, right? But they no. must have been making some money off of the ads they were doing on the app. It's a yeah, better yeah, user yeah. experience overall, for sure, to have it bundled I, into the OS. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think know. the discussion is like... There's a clear evolution of technology and features do creep into OSs. Like these things do happen over time. But th- there are the broader things of, um, I mean, Apple got in trouble over bringing, uh, what was it, usage tracking, like how long mm-hmm. you're using your phone, bringing, baking that directly into the OS. And that kind of killed every single app that was also offering that service. So, you know, th- this is like where we're seeing the weird balance. Uh, let me just it read is, this statement, balance, by the way, yeah, from ahead. Representative David Cicilline. Democrat of Rhode Island, he's the chairman of the House Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee, Antitrust Subcommittee. He is the guy who's really been pushing antitrust over the past couple of years. Like he was, he was, he was really trying good. to do this. He's very On good. The hearing, yeah. He did his homework. Like he is the guy who did all the work and just came to like ask questions. He was actually trying to get some of these hearings happening back when Amazon was trying to buy Whole Foods. And that mm. didn't happen. That was like two, three years ago. So it didn't happen then. I think he has a better shot now. But his opening statement, I think, really encapsulates the argument. As gatekeepers to the digital economy, 
These platforms enjoy the power to pick winners and losers, shake down small businesses, and enrich themselves while choking off competitors. Our founders would not bow before a king, nor should we bow before the emperors of the online economy. That is very strong. Like, there's very yeah. pointed commentary here. Any, like, th there are a bunch of things, but any specific things you want to bring up, Sherlyn, that were talked about during this five-hour hearing? I know, five God. hours. One, of, one question that I thought was, or one moment that I thought was actually interesting was when, I think it was the uh, representative for Florida, he questioned, all, he opened a question for all four of them, right? Most of these were directed at one specific uh, uh, CEO. He opened a question for all four of them saying, like, what can the government do to better protect U.S. interests of companies like yours? And none of them responded. None of them. He was like, no, none of you. None of you want to tell me how to better serve you guys. Uh -huh. and, and this was after a line of questioning that he had already like earlier in the hearing already attacked them. So this was just kind of a general question. So it wasn't like he was playing nice with them, but he was offering up an opportunity for them to kind of, I guess, fight for themselves. And none of them said yeah. anything. And I almost feel like it's because... They're not just U.S. companies. They're so no. international. They they're operate, global and they're, they're global so dominators. Yeah. yeah. And to think of them as purely U.S. companies, it is true because their origins are in this country. But, you know, like, honestly, it's it's almost flawed to think of them that way because mm -hmm. they have too much power globally. And it almost, yeah, I don't want to get into any weird global government conspiracies <laughs> here, but it almost seems like we kind of need a regulatory body that can deal with companies this big. Yeah, internationally, because I do think this is the problem. These companies are so, so big now. How do you rein them in if things are getting out of control? Um, I think what's interesting is the opening statements for a lot of these companies. Mm -hmm. They, all these founders like really tried to personalize things like Bezos, I think had the longest and best written introduction. And he talked about being raised by a single teen mother, really like having to live a scrappy life growing up. Um, Sundar Pichai talked about growing up poor in India and being impressed with, you know, American computer labs when he came over here. So I, they're good. It's good storytelling, but it's also like very manipulative in a way to like make these companies seem more personable and more like people like, hey, I'm just a guy who happens to be a billionaire running a trillion dollar company. <laughs> I will know? say that throughout all of it, I think I, I mean, I have clear favorites, right? I think my heart <laughs> goes favorites. out to I have favorites. I have my favorites. I, my heart goes out to Pichai because I, I as an yeah. immigrant, I identify with him. Um mm -hmm. And Bezos just seemed like he was very eloquent. He was good at it. Tim Cook also just seemed like he stayed out of trouble. Zuckerberg <laughs> just felt like the whole time he was struggling to keep a straight face on and not like just throw a fit and rage out of there. He just felt like he was barely holding his his because I remember at some point he was really called out for some of his reactions to in previous <laughs> hearings, right? Like when he said really dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, so he's he was not really, good under pressure, which is I just, think the thing we enjoy seeing is him like really sweat sometimes. But to be fair, he was the youngest, <laughs> I think, of the bunch. And so like the rest sure. of them had a bit more gravitas and, and they were easier to watch. Um, I specifically yeah. I specifically liked uh, Washington Democrat uh, Representative Pramila Jayapal. Yeah. roasted him she was roasted great. him she over was... the instagram acquisition. i watched it i was, it was like so girl good. you know your stuff and you're <laughs> polite and yet not like you're not giving him any leeway mm -hmm. you know to run up it was great let's let's go over we have some yeah, of the dialogue this is what here she said. That, uh, that carissa bell uh wrote up for us in her post saying gadget uh i will let you be uh Jaya Jamila, Pal, yeah i gotta pull up the exchange y'all because <laughs> there it is all right so she she was basically asking him about some of the interactions with uh, Instagram CEO Kevin Systrom and stuff. Okay, so I'm Jaya Paul. Okay. Mm -hmm. Has Facebook ever threatened to clone the products of another company while also attempting to acquire the company? Not that I recall. Zuckerberg okay, I would like said. to remind you that you are under oath. Mm. Have you ever used the Facebook camera app to threaten Kevin Systrom into agreeing to an acquisition? I'm not sure what you mean by threaten, Zuckerberg said. Were there any other companies you used this same tactic with? For example, Snapchat. I don't remember those specific conversations. Your company harvests and monetizes our data, and then your company uses that data to spy on competitors and copy, acquire, and kill rivals. You've used Facebook's power to threaten smaller competitors and to ensure that you always get your way. These tactics reinforce Facebook's dominance, which you then use in increasingly destructive ways. So Facebook's very model makes it impossible for new companies to flourish separately, and that harms our democracy. 
Let's leave a big pause here. Eventually, he said, you're asking a lot of my memory, which is, uh, first of all, a great way to say, yeah, I, I don't recall. I cannot answer. But we also have the, you know, we have the emails. We have the conversations yeah. about how they approach the Instagram acquisition. And that is a good one to focus on because that's the acquisition where Zuckerberg was just like, a billion dollars, right? Or several yeah. billion dollars. Like that was the biggest acquisition of a very small startup at that point. And I feel like that kicked off a whole trend of like everybody trying to create these unicorn startups, these billion dollar acquisition targets. And I, uh, yeah. I mean, look where it is Something. now, right? It, I don't use Facebook anymore. I use Instagram. That's it. Yeah. Like without this acquisition, Facebook would almost be nothing at this point. Although they might have made other acquisitions. I don't, I don't know if they would be nothing, but Instagram would certainly be probably big and a competitor right definitely a bigger competitor mm -hmm. against them but now they have nothing to fear about with instagram they don't have to be forced to improve their products really although for sure they did copy sure. snap like crazy so and there there's a story from the instagram founding book that yeah basically the instagram founders were not were not happy at facebook mm. and it seemed like zuck did zuck and his team did a lot to kind of push them out including like integrating Facebook stuff directly into Instagram against yep. uh, the Instagram folks' wishes. But there's also like, you think about the the WhatsApp deal. That was what, a $17 billion acquisition also to pick up this very popular competing thing. How yep. can anybody compete when yeah. Facebook can just snap up these companies? Basically, exactly. that's the big thing. Exactly. I mean, Facebook almost has nothing to fear because like I, so when all the stuff against Facebook was coming out, I was like, I'm going to quit Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. It was easy enough to quit the main social network. It was not easy at all to quit the <sighs> other two apps. I cannot quit Instagram because a lot of my friends and that's how I interact with right, people right. publicly. And also like, I can't quit WhatsApp because like my international friends are on there. So it's like, wow, there is no wow. way to quit Facebook. Basically, That's and yeah, as a company, they have what over two billion users now. Like they're they're getting to a point where most of the people on the planet will have Facebook or use Facebook in some way. To me, that seems like a problem, especially when you have a leader in charge like Zuckerberg, who I don't think always thinks pretty. Like I don't think he thinks deep enough about the impact of the technology and the things that they do. Uh, we haven't talked much about Tim Cook here because honestly, they didn't <laughs> he, have much to ask Tim Cook. I feel like he yeah. was just chilling in his uh, very cool, like it looked like he was in an indoor garden or something. People <laughs> were like, his background looked like a bad salad buffet. Aww, aww. Um, it was just a little sad, but people like the main reason he was there was to talk about the app store, app store monopoly. Mm -hmm. And that's where things get a little Dicey. confusing right because mm -hmm. it is apple's platform it is other people selling on apple's platform i guess the question is is apple giving some companies a lift is it giving bigger companies a leg up are they doing things to push up their own apps compared to other apps that right. could be an issue yeah. right i like that um one of the questions asked of tim cook was does apple have the power to deny or allow an app to be in its app store and tim cook just yep. didn't answer the question he was yep. like well we have grown from 500 <laughs> to 5 million apps now i was like that is not literally not answering the question mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. just tell me yes or no and even the the person who asked the question was just like yes or no and Tim Cook just did not say yes yeah. or no. And I think that that was a theme, right? All of them, uh -huh. none of our CEOs or our CEOs. Our CEOs. <laughs> our duly heroes. elected CEOs. <laughs> none of the, the CEOs gave straight answers. And I think I would have appreciated some candor. I think I would have appreciated mm -hmm. a bit more honesty. Because I was like, I played this game where I imagined if I was one of them. Oh, these okay. <laughs> Sometimes I get too big in my head. What is your company? Uh <laughs> what does your company do, Sherlyn? Um, it would be a baking slash makeup uh, conglomerate that ships you free cupcakes with purchase mm. of foundation. Cookie um, Mama made real, basically. Ooh, Cookie yeah. Mama, but bake your face. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> face baking is a whole thing and makeup stop. Oh, the man. Um, I would have just been like, I mean, I, I generally just try to be more real as a person. Uh -huh. And I just try to be like, look, what you're saying it happened or something like i just don't understand i understand that they have so much to protect i just would like yes. them to be more real as people just be like they can't they can't and they were all clearly coached i feel like so that was coached. the thing it was they so were so coached, coached whole, in terms of what they could do yeah i the whole like i can't remember thing is a pr <laughs> excuse it's just like just so you can't remember because they yeah. can't they can't fault you for being human I, you know i feel like the only admission was uh sender pachai when they brought up the double click acquisition which was mm going way back that's like 10 years ago that's 2009 mm -hmm. but double click was the big online advertising company when google had acquired them they had said oh we will not combine double click data and google data 
Like, we'll keep them separate. Fast forward to 2016, and <laughs> Google did just that very quietly. And Sundar Pichai yeah. was, uh, Val Demings called him out for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he just said, yeah, he approved that move. Like, he did it. So he at least owned up to yeah. acknowledging and doing yeah. that whole thing. But, uh, yeah, Google has not been punished for it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen after all of these exactly. talks? It just exactly. feels like five hours of ranting at these very rich, powerful men. What is it going to amount to? Do you Do think, you think they, I, I don't think they were, like, afraid or anything by the the people in Congress asking them questions. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we have to do this uncomfortable thing. <laughs> I do feel like some some of the companies that were there, for example, maybe I have a bit too much faith in Google and Pichai, but mm-hmm. I feel like Google's thing is they they know they make mistakes, but they've been good at afterwards just owning up like with their security tracking stuff and and then committing to deleting all location tracking data after a certain amount of time like they do make changes after some time to improve their product after being pointed Mm -hmm. out and criticized Uh, i think apple has always been pretty good about that amazon and facebook i just am not sure (laughs) i'm not sure they're gonna care very much about what happened yesterday so yeah there's nothing to really harm them we don't know basically it's up to regulators to kind of move forward. I know there are some further investigations against some of these companies, yeah. against other parts of the government. I think the FTC was looking at Facebook for something. So maybe we'll see some sort of action. This just felt like a lot of uh, a lot of bluster, but I at least very much enjoyed seeing <laughs> these guys be put in the hot seat for once. Oh yeah, same here. So if you spent five hours or any hours at all watching this hearing, <laughs> please let us know what you thought. Because like, why did you even tune in and what do you hope that they <laughs> achieve from this hearing? Please send us your thoughts to podcast at Engadget.com. All right. So in other news, over the weekend, starting July 23rd, actually uh, the morning of Thursday, July 23rd, Garmin suffered an outage of its online services. So if you have a Garmin fitness tracker, a Garmin smartwatch, which, you know, they're very popular with runners. You wouldn't have been able to like sync your data with the app or sync your data to the cloud. And again, it started on Thursday and it's again, a complete outage of its services. And Garmin has a lot of users. So all these people running on Thursday morning just couldn't sync their data and the watch doesn't store that much information. So what happened, the outage you know, took place and, and stretched over several days. And, you know, for some users, it's still out right now as of today, July 30th. So oh, it was a frustrating issue for a lot of people. Uh, it's apps, it's online connectivity, some internal systems, even it's call centers <laughs> were affected. They had to issue, my favorite part of this was when they had to issue um, a tweet because they couldn't, they couldn't like address customer issues because they're called they just like shouted out while the whole they building had to was shout on fire during, this We're is all what good. i do yeah on twitter so they had to be like by the way uh this outage also affects our call centers and we're currently unable to receive any calls emails or online chats i, yeah. I almost wonder if they were like you know guys let's just let's just pull the plug on the call center because it's bad it's just bad let's just not talk to anybody uh no i like that their strategy so this started happening thursday July 23rd, yep. mm-hmm. they sent out a tweet on the 25th the with a link. Well. Yeah. Oh. Well, they said it was the 25th. Like it was a couple of days later. Yes, and then yes. they sent out a link like with a very small fact. Then on the 27th, so several days later, they yep. finally like issued a full statement saying we were hacked. The kind yep. of full thing of it. But it seems like their overall response to this problem was let's just stand still and pretend yeah. nobody <laughs> sees us. Just pretend like, like this is Drax. not happening. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Garmin, and again, a lot of people in our community, the tech world that I operate in anyway, um, are Garmin users. And they were very frustrated yeah. when, you know, like sometimes people can't run on the during the week. So they go for a run during the weekends. And over the weekend, they couldn't sync their data. Our um, editor-in-chief, Dana Woolman, is a Garmin user as well. And she honestly, when the FAQ was issued, she tweeted it and was saying that Honestly, Garmin should be issuing daily updates at this point, which is yeah. true because your users are just there waiting to figure out what's up. It's almost like, well, when I had a water outage a while ago in recent memory, honestly, I, I had hourly updates because I, I needed that sort of reassurance that something was going on, something was being done to take care of the situation. And Garmin did none of that. I think mm-hmm. that that was fairly irresponsible. I think finally owning up to the hack was good. 
uh, to the fact that they were being hacked or they got hacked, but they denied it for a while or they didn't deny it, but they just kind of dodged the issue for a while. Yeah. And I think what's really troubling here, by the way, is that Garmin, they don't just make fitness trackers. Garmin oh, makes yeah. GPS devices. Garmin makes things that people who fly planes exactly. rely on to exactly. like, actually fly safely and land their planes. So th- this is troubling for real. Like they, somebody should have to pay for like how I, they address the situation. And I will say also the main reason that there is a, a problem with the delay in acknowledging that it was a hack is that if you acknowledge it upfront on the day mm-hmm. of that you might've been hacked, people can go about taking steps to protect themselves immediately and not give people who perpetrated the hack. Like let's say user information was obtained during this hack, which they're saying Garmin pay information, by the way, was not affected. That's what they're saying. Although maybe we'll find out later it was. Um, So for example, someone got access to your Garmin password and your username or your email address and Garmin didn't say a thing. That person now has the five days to go figure out how to use this information. Whereas if you have figured out on first day that your password was stolen, you could have just changed your passwords across your services immediately on LastPass or whatever. And this is, by the way, another shout out. Shout out to any (laughs) password manager. Yes, thank you. Good God, use a password manager. Like it will save your life. And I think the thing that people don't realize, like it used to be tough to manage a password manager, right? Where like, oh, every time I go into the site, I got to go open this app and go plug in this thing. put it in, yeah. But now with uh, smartphones and honestly, even a lot of Windows apps, um, when LastPass detects you're at a site where you have the password, you just hit a button and just spits it in there securely and safely. You never, you rarely have to actually go into these apps and open them anymore. So it's gotten a lot easier to use password management. I do like the fact that iOS and Chrome are both Mm -hmm. offering their own sort of like built-in password management, which is nice. I find it hard to go and sometimes find those passwords that they make, whereas LastPass is like nice and independent and third-party, but... Whatever you use, use use a password manager. There Good are God. options. Use them. It's mm-hmm. more secure. It's better to have them gen- generate a generic password for each service than have you try to remember all of them. And, and never give... use the same password yeah. on multiple sites. Like that is that is where things start to fall apart, right? Password sanitization. But anyway, <laughs> Garmin really, I mean, right now there are still people having issues and there are, you know, I feel bad. I was just doing a quick scroll through Twitter of like people you know, tweeting about Garmin and there are as of today, people still going like, I still can't sync. And that sucks. I feel bad for these people. If you were affected by the outage and you're watching the thing now, tweet at us, podcast live, hashtag podcast live. <laughs> Catch it. So let's move on for something, I don't know, maybe a little more hopeful. And not as uh, a little more hopeful for one company, for Quibi. <laughs> Depressing company, for you. <laughs> yeah, the company we all love to hate. But Quibi is pulling out of their apparent death spiral with 10 Emmy nominations, which is shocking to me. Well, shocking because I don't... Who's who's watching these shows? I feel like there are more Emmy voters. There are more people um, you know, who are deciding these awards that are watching these shows than actual normal humans. Um, mm-hmm. We had seen some stats around their abysmal subscribership to um, 10 shows, 10, well, 10 different nominations. Ten and that includes actors because they do have some actors like Lawrence Fishburne was nominated for something. Um, Were they all for uh, the same show? Uh, no, for different or, things. Christoph okay. Waltz Christoph Waltz for Most Dangerous Game, Anna Kendrick for Dummy. Mm. So it, it was a bunch of different things. And I think the main thing here, first of all, it shows the sort of like insular nature of the Emmys process where people within the business, um, right. they see Katzenberg and his $2 billion thing and they're like okay we'll watch this we'll maybe throw it a bone or something like it's all friends of friends and maybe friends of Katzenberg who are kind of judging some of these things so the game is rigged folks it's you, not it's not a fair game and but. I will say you you mentioned that this might be Quibi coming out of its death spiral I don't know no. that Emmy nominations is indicative of the survival of a service like that exactly so like it's, it's more relevance it's more like hey we want it's getting more Emmys. attention again exactly yeah. it's just getting like prestige that might not translate to dollars <laughs> and again to your point right like a lot of um stars were supportive of quibi even when it first started i think they also because they were involved or they knew the people involved they didn't want to throw water or pour, like just be wet blankets sure. about it but the criticism i've seen of quibi so far has just been that it's not viable yet 
Um, they hey, they just movie. launched screenshots, and they I had just... to they had to do screenshots in a really weird, different way because their DRM prevents the iOS or Android screenshot uh-huh. capability. Netflix so, yeah. you know, they're they're trying. It's just what a. I still think it's a complete waste of time. We'll see I'm next sorry. year. We're still talking about Quibi. I think that that would be that would be interesting to see. If we are, it would be depressing for you even more. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, other streaming services got some Emmy love. Uh, the Mandalorian, Disney Plus's The Mandalorian, was nominated for Best Drama, which Woo! I think is that's something. Netflix Our producer is- Ben said they need to have a special most cute character award for Baby Yoda. Just so y'all know, think about think- it, Emmy people. Mm-hmm. They should do that award, but it's going to be a fight because that's every internet, everybody entered the internet loves fighting yes. against each other in an award show. Like oh. that is the most online category to that add is, to any show. Is, so yeah, they is. should do it uh, mainly for the social engagement. I think people will <laughs> not uh, shut up about that. You'll get people wondering what cute even means anyway. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, what else? What else? Well, let's move on from the Emmys. Just, just one quick thing. A little movie called Tenet. The movie, the Christopher Nolan movie, that Hollywood is, it feels like Hollywood is literally putting, betting their future on. Because if this movie doesn't open or if this movie doesn't succeed, like it could hurt the movie industry completely. Mm. Um, We learned last week, I believe um, they were saying, executives were saying, Tenet was delayed indefinitely. Indefinitely, yeah. This week, they're saying it's going to debut internationally in some countries actually have their crap together um, and select U.S. theaters in some cities. I wonder which cities. We don't know yet. There's no Mm. full list. And honestly, this is all like, this is the tentative tenant announcement. I need another T word. Tentative tentative tenant tease. Tease. Um, Well, we're watching the trailer right now. We're constantly being teased about this show or this movie, which... I cannot wait to see. It looks this, good. This movie would have made our summer. This is the thing I was looking forward to all summer, <gasps> and the virus and everything has has destroyed. Are you looking? Are you watching the trailer for the first time, Trillin? Yes, I am. I am. So, for those of you listening <laughs> to the podcast, I'm sorry, but the live stream people are getting a live reaction feed of me watching the trailer. Trillin right saw now. Robert Pattinson and just like melted. That was Robert here. Pattinson. <laughs> I just saw the thing fly up. Ooh, oh, there the is our pads. Here, there you There is our pads. Oh, man. Right. Um, at some point, I, I'll have to relate watching movies with Sherlyn because Sherlyn does not keep oh, her cool. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh. When we watched Avengers Endgame together, Def, that was... Oh, man. I brought Sherlyn to one of the press screenings for Avengers Endgame. And I basically had to disown her because she he was just be like, being a complete yeah. fangirl just the whole time. But anyway, Tenet, I don't... This is the thing. Like, I feel like Nolan and the studio, uh, is that Paramount? Uh, No, Warner Brothers. But I believe Nolan and the studio just refuse to even consider online release for this thing. Because this movie is going to be huge. Like, this movie was supposed to be huge. It has to be in theaters. Nolan is known as the main, like, he wants people to see his movies in theaters first. He has been I can see releasing a movie like this in other countries. Um, Some U.S. cities feel that I don't know where in the U S is safe enough right now, because as a country, we're doing a bad job of containing Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Um, I worry that people will try to travel to some countries to see this movie because I've seen Christopher Nolan fans do crazier things than that. So, you know, it's, it's not great. There's a lot up in the air. I hope to see this movie eventually. I just want to do it safely. That's yeah. all. How yeah. do you feel? Like, do you miss going to a theater show, Lynn? So I was going to bring this up. Thank you for uh-huh. asking me that question. But like recently what I've been doing is watch a lot of movies, more movies than I do at home. And um, you get to the point where like a lot of people are watching movies at home because of digital streaming yes. or whatever. You can't yeah. expect everyone to be in a theater, dead silence, listening to these whisper dialogues you have between your characters anymore. I don't think that that should be a... like. A thing in any movie moving forward because I was watching The Old Guard and there was some background noise like I don't know I had washing machine on or whatever you have uh-huh. to like keep bumping up the volume just to listen to them talk sometimes and then like sure. dropping yeah, yeah. it back down when the action was happening that's an okay experience for when you're in the theater but just completely terrible when you're not in dead silence let and- me ask Sherlyn so one thing so that is the constant problem of watching movies at home especially if you don't yes. have like a sound bar or extra right, speakers a good sound or something system. Like, yeah. TV speakers suck do you are you just watching from the apps on your TV like can you 
sync a wireless headset to your TV to get that audio because that is the best way. I could do the wireless headset. I could do the wireless headset, but I was watching this in a situation where like it was a friend uh, was with me and like it was a sound bar and it was a good setup already. It was just like... I didn't want. It. I wanted the social experience of being with a friend and still watching mm-hmm. TV and everything. So, yeah, I don't want the wireless headset. I just think that we don't need that to be so quiet, guys. Like, really? <laughs> you mean the movies? You don't. They don't need yeah, to be well, so quiet. I don't, or I don't, the experience. The movies. The dialogue doesn't need to be so quiet. Just make them like so hearable by humans. That's all. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> Nolan movies in particular are on often criticized like if you put tom hardy in one of his movies and you will have a grumbly you know man who you can't decipher anything he's saying um to what you were saying though the old guard that was the first movie i've seen recently where i was like man i wish i was seeing this in a theater with some popcorn next to some friends like i do miss this whole thing um i just seen the movie palm springs which is excellent uh on hulu and i also miss like Man, I I would have seen this in a cool like indie theater yeah. in a quiet space yeah. and with like maybe reclining a handful chair. of people around me. Yeah. Not maybe not even reclining, but that experience of seeing a really effective movie mm-hmm. in a space with other people, I really really miss right now. So I can't wait to see Tenet. I hope we can do this safely by next year. But man, what a what a weird situation we're in. We'll get back to normal, guys. We just have to hang in there. Stay safe, wear your mask, do all the fun stuff, watch movies at home. That's the best way to stay safe. And we will have a lot of recommendations for you. But first, let's talk about what oh we're working on. Before play, first work. I see how it is. Um, yes. I, as usual, am working on a bunch of things I cannot talk about. <laughs> but I wow. promise you, dear listener and viewer, wow. you will know what I've been busting my butt over <laughs> next week. You'll find out. Um, find, well, I mean, what what big things are happening next I week, mean, right? I mean, think about what's happening. I mean, I already said on this podcast, right? Like, uh-huh. Samsung's event is coming up next week. We almost always prepare ahead of time. We will be doing some kind of live show. We'll be doing some kind of live blog, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, preparing for all of that is part of my work. And then there's other stuff that's related that has to be done. So y'all will see. But just know I am swamped. I'm not you know, like being lazy or anything. Uh, this week, we also have a lot of earnings. Apple has, is announcing its earnings today. Alphabet, uh, Google's parent company, is also doing it, that today. So I'm on deck for that. But also, you know, just because I can't talk about my work doesn't mean I can't shout out my friend's work. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Velasco, our mobile editor, has published a preview of what to expect at Galaxy uh, Samsung's Unpacked event next week. So take a look. It's on the site. There's at least five devices you can check out over there. And then uh. our friend, our features editor, Chris Ip, also published a story about racial bias in AI. I think that that's a very interesting uh, an important topic just because we're going to see ai feature in so many facets of our life mm-hmm. that we need to know if we're teaching it to be racist or if it's taught itself to be racist and how can that contribute to systemic racism over and over again yeah. i just think you should take a read uh, of the article and you'll find it pretty illuminating it's a good piece what, yeah. uh yeah don't don't forget people ai does not write itself at least <laughs> not yet so not yet. think, well, think about where all this stuff starts yeah yeah. Machine you, learning is like slowly training itself, but even then the model, like where you start is yeah. is a thing. Yeah. Like you're yeah, providing yeah, yeah. some info exactly. and then it's processing the data. The learning, yeah, it's taught how to learn basically too. Yeah, it's so. taught how to learn. It learned it from you. Don't forget that. <laughs> um, what am I working on? I yes, wrote up something. I wrote up my piece on using Carvana to buy a used oh, yeah. car without going to dealer because I hate car dealers. Um so that experience, uh, it was a fun post to write up. Um, I did see a lot of comments, felt like it was a Carvana ad. And <laughs> I don't, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird thing where I didn't have any significant problems. So it's not like I can create, I can't manufacture problems for this post. Um, it, was, it was an easy process. I know there are potential issues with Carvana, but I, right now in the yeah. pandemic, it is a great way to buy a car. I can say Dude. that. To, to respond to some of those comments, right, that you wrote this for the Gadget IRL column, which yeah. the Gadget IRL column is when Engadget editors write about things we've paid our own money for. Um, yeah. And we've, you know, gone to like great lengths to like actually buy because it's not a review. A review frequently we're sent the products to review. Um, so Gadget IRL means Devendra paid for Carvana himself. I don't. It's more like I'm writing about my experience. He's writing Just about FYI. his own self. Yeah. yeah and my own I mean, experience I'm going to write about. 
something i wrote about a hair dryer or something i don't know <laughs> um yeah so so i mean i'm glad you found a good way to buy a car was, during a well, pandemic. let me just say like i think the scary thing for a lot of people is buying a car without test driving it but as i've learned test drives suck you have mm-hmm. maybe five or ten minutes to drive a car around like a really close area near the dealer you don't really get a sense of it i think the thing i really appreciate about carvana was you get you get t- seven days. You get a whole mm. week to use this car, drive it around, drive it up to 400 miles, like with no mm. penalty. And if you, if anything is wrong, you can return it like without issue. Like they will refund the delivery nice. charge. They'll, you know, they won't charge you anything. So it's basically like a seven day test drive, which I can appreciate. Uh, Carvana, you may remember as a company like behind some of those uh, crazy car vending machines. But I think the more useful thing right now is at home deliveries yeah. and really simplifying this process. So I, I bought a car within like 15 minutes using a mobile app and that was really wild to me and it was all pretty smooth uh knock on wood i hope it uh hope it goes well and for those who care i got a 2017 rav4 hybrid which is a perfect dad mobile and i'm um, really dad. enjoying it it's a very dad mobile sophia loves it my daughter Aww. loves it so that's really all i care about it's a safe car for her it sounds like you're going to maybe ha- recommend people use Carvana. Meanwhile, I want to recommend people when they want to relax and not say buy a car. Uh, watch this little known show called Sense8. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I told you to watch Sense8. Yeah. God damn it. Every time I, I recommend something, that was like, I told you to watch this thing. And I'm like, no. Maybe- okay. I know. I think you did. Anyway. Finally listened to Devendra and watched all of Sense8 on Netflix, season one and season two, including that two and a half hour finale. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, It is, I mean, I cried through most of season two, Mm -hmm. (laughs) every Mm -hmm. single episode. It's, it's, you know, I think directed at the very least and also created by uh, the Wachowskis. Um, And Tom Tom Tickver was involved. So the director of Run, Lola, Run, like he, he had some dealings with it. Yeah. Right, wait, so, wait, but wait. let me let me. It let was me, it was it was no. It was someone else. It was Wazinski? Uh, yeah. It's it's else. actually the creator of uh, Babylon uh, Babylon Five. Was it Joseph Straczynski? J. Michael Straczynski, along uh, with the Wachowskis, made the show, which is why it's so kind of wild. Like it is both the Wachowski stuff and like this, J. Michael this love of yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so yeah. So it, all of the things that Devin just said. I, I just I brought out the Wachowskis because, you know, we know that they've, you know, had issues with their own gender identity in the past. And this show, this series touches on a lot of those things. There, there are mm-hmm. themes there about loving yourself, being true to who you are and, you know, having friends that support you in times of adversity. And those are the things that made me cry a lot throughout. And I, you know, one of the characters uh, really struggles with his sexual orientation as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment when he finally gets to a pride parade and that like I had me weeping. I just was like, got like tissues and everything oh, was great. But it's an emotional show. But at the same time, it's really good science fiction. It's it's, kind of, it's it's such a weird show because it is both it has the like Wachowski action and big sci-fi yes. ideas. Yes. But it's also like a show entirely about empathy and how yes. it's connected to each other, which I find it is it is like emotional science fiction. So I it love is. it. I think like plot wise, it goes all over the place. But it's a fun show to watch. The characters are great. The budget of the show where they do, they oh shoot God. all they over shot the world. They shot location, yeah. But they, they will like take actors and put them in different places all over the world. It's crazy. I will say that, like, let's, can I explain the premise mm-hmm. a little bit, yes. right? In Sense8, yeah. there is, it starts with these, like, eight people who discover that they can experience what each other is experiencing, and they're part of a cluster, uh, and they're, it's it's not right to say they're telepathic, but it's the closest approximation of They're emotionally, of what this is. they're connected, yes. you know, in a way, yeah. So, so, one of, and at first when I read, and I've, I've heard of this show for a long time, when I read mm-hmm. that premise, I was not interested, because I was like, ugh, like, bleh, doesn't seem like fun, but then, like, I watched it, and I was like, oh, they really made use of this premise, right? They really, mm-hmm. I mean, in, 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 they can take over each other's bodies and they can, mm-hmm. you know, help each other do things. So one of them is a skilled fighter. Another one is a doctor. So like they 
allow each other to take on these skills at varying points in their lives so it's really a, the the premise is there and the world building was actually surprisingly good towards the middle and the end of the second season they were expanding the universe a little bit more but unfortunately got cut because netflix canceled it sadly mm-hmm. um so in the two and a half hour season finale that was like approved after the season was canceled or the show was canceled the wachowskis had to tie or I think it was just Lana Wachowski at this point, had yeah. to tie everything up. So you, you do notice a lot of just like very convenient tying up of loose ends there, but it was a satisfying ending, I want to say, at least for people who care about the characters uh, more than they really care about like exploring the world a little further. But I do wish, I mean, like if Netflix is listening, bring the show back. <laughs> if Netflix is listening, uh, I would certainly <laughs> love that. Uh, they're, they're currently working on um, The Matrix 4 right now. Well, there you so, go. Maybe they'll be um, they'll be like, here's some more money. Do a Sense8 Season 3. Yeah. I just, I love the Wachowskis. I love the Wachowskis completely. Every crazy thing they'll do. Speed Racer. Uh, <laughs> Cloud Atlas. Jupiter Ascending. Like, oh, Jupiter Ascending was sci-fi. enjoyable I for sure. So, yeah, good yeah. picture, Lynn. I'm glad Thank you enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Finally, yeah. something... You, well, no, I've been doing good with these picks lately, okay? You've been doing okay? good. <laughs> uh, I want to shout out a movie that just hit uh, Hulu quickly, which is Palm Springs. I, I was going to say that should be a recommendation, before. yep. It is very good. This is a sci-fi movie directed by Max Barbacow, uh, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, who is just, I guess, kind of in everything right now. She's everywhere. Yeah, she's everywhere. But it's about two people who find themselves repeating the same day, Groundhog Day style, uh, at a wedding. And I think it's a, uh, it is a great, it is almost like a sequel to Groundhog Day, mm. which uh, is kind of cool. It takes that concept, it it advances it in a way because now it's affecting two people, and the solution for Groundhog Day, which spoilers for that, how old is that movie now? 30, 40 years old, <laughs> uh, at least thirty years old. Yeah, spoiler for that movie, but you know the ultimate solution was to like live, be a good person, like try to live a better, uh, more honorable life. That is not the solution for this movie. And I feel like Clearly that's not. it explores that idea. And it's a good movie to watch right now because we're also all trapped doing Living the same, the same. thing yep. every day <laughs> over and over again. So it's a perfect movie at the moment. I think it's really affecting. It's very romantic. And uh, Andy Samberg, I wish this movie was in theaters because, man, this could have been a hit for him. Oh, yeah, well. Andy Samberg is great, actually. So Yeah, and but Christine he is cursed Liotti. at the box office. That's the thing. Like, uh, uh, pop star, never stop, never stopping. One of the best movies of the past 10 years uh, flopped at the bottom, you know, in theaters, but it's an amazing movie. Maybe it's a good thing then for for him that this was only on Hulu and it was only online because I saw a lot of rave reviews for this thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people loved it and said it was a perfect movie too. Yeah, yeah. Hulu said it was very popular for them, so clearly it's doing well in some degree, but I I want him to have at least one box office win at some point, but uh, yeah, we'll get there. Go check out Palm Springs, everybody. And that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter. And uh, I podcast about movies and TV at the slash filmcast at slashfilm.com. If you want to tell me what type of company I should run and whether that is baked goods or makeup, you can hit me up at Shirtlinlo on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcastengadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and please subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. <laughs>